0: second reading, Uh, this morning we're going to have a Reformation Day sermon instead of a sermon on Abraham, although you could very well combine the two. Let me read to you just a few verses from the fourth chapter of Romans from the New International Version of the Bible. Abraham justified by faith. This is chapter Let us pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in all of the good things that you have given to us. We are so thankful that we have the privilege of the right of assembly for worship. We are grateful that printed Bibles are on every hand where we may learn from your word what we need to know uh, about your plans for our lives so that we might conduct them in a way that will bring honor to thee. We are thankful that we have books that are filled with hymns of praise and that we have people to assist us in singing for a comfortable place in which to worship. We pray for those in this world today who are deprived of these very blessings, for those people in China and those people in Russia and those people behind uh, the, the curtains of the world where dictators and forces of evil seek to obscure your truth. Help us to take full advantage of the blessings we enjoy and to live lives of holier dedication to thee. Accept the gifts which we bring, and use them to thy glory, and bless the whole church of the Lord Jesus universal. We thank thee for those whose emphasis now is so much more upon the word of God. We pray for Pope John Paul and for his full and permanent and complete recovery uh, from the terrible shooting. And we pray for others in the world where there is distress, but especially for him and for the force for good he is in the world. And today as we look back and see the changes that have taken place, uh, both in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Protestant Church over the years, help us to have a personal reformation that takes place in our own hearts as we take it on faith and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm going to go back in history a little bit to read some things back in a time when there was not a Pope as good as Pope John Paul, and when there were things that were wrong, dare uh, terribly wrong, and needed correction, which our Roman Catholic friends freely uh, admit to this very day. Uh, I admire Pope John Paul very much. In fact, if he ever comes to Montreat, I'll ask him to preach here and the session will also agree to that if he won't preach as long as I do and uh, we want him to come he is a great man of God and I'm thankful for him and I want him to be recovered I think it's interesting that he was shot uh, just at a time when the communists were ready to make their move in Poland I think they're afraid of him and I think this may have been one of the reasons why terrorist organizations set out to kill a man uh, that good well, there was a time in which the righteousness of God was obscured. It was obscured because uh, we had gotten so far away from the Bible. The Bible was not thought worthy of being placed into the hands of the common men, man. And so far from a Gideon's association where copies of Scripture might be given to people to read, it was thought that only the clergy could properly interpret the Scripture. It was not long after the time of the uh, horrible black death had decimated so much of Europe, and people were terribly afraid of death. They wanted to be righteous with God, but there was a dictatorial church which held authority over the Bible and which held authority over the means of grace and which held the authority over salvation. From the time you were baptized until extreme unction which was given at your death, all things were there. And many of these things had become superstition accretions that had been added, not because of, knowledge of a knowledge of the scriptures, but because the scriptures were obscured. Uh, I am thankful to report today that our Roman Catholic friends are great in the publication of many of the finest translations of the Bible and have seen to it that those translations are widely disseminated, and they want them disseminated, and they work with other people in translating and distributing the Bible. My dear old friend, Uncle Cam Townsend, are the Wycliffe Bible Translators, think of it, the Wycliffe Bible Translators. John Wycliffe, who was burned by a corrupt Roman Catholic Church, now the organization named for him is cooperating with the Roman Catholic Church in the handing out of scriptures instead of the su- suppression of scriptures. Uh, William Tyndale uh, would see the same thing today. I have a son who lives in a place called Tyndale House at Cambridge University uh, in England, where once the gospel was held down, but where now uh, people work to see that the scriptures are put forward. Well, I wanted to take today just one of the slogans of the Reformation because of the time that is placed upon us and uh, use this to give you some understanding of what can happen in the life of one man and what can happen in your life that the Scriptures can do to open to you the plan of salvation to aid you in your growth and grace. Our Scottish forebears, those of us who are Presbyterians and worship with our faces toward Edinburgh, we 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 know we know of course that the the clans, whenever they went into battle, always yelled out slogans, just like the football teams do now. In Texas, we did it. We said, "Remember the Alamo," but uh, uh, the 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 slogans of the Reformation were that salvation was solo gratia. That is, by grace alone. And grace is the unmerited favor or love of God. Solo Cristo, by Christ alone. Solo Fide, by faith alone. Solo Scripto, the scriptures alone. By grace alone, by faith alone, through scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Those were the slogans of the Reformation. Grace alone, faith alone, Scripture alone, Christ alone. And I want to take the the part about Scripture and tell you a little bit about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was born about ten years before Columbus discovered America. He was born at a time, uh, of course, as I indicated a moment ago, when darkness reigned uh, in uh, the circles of the church. And there was no way to find salvation, it seemed, to him, apart uh, from uh, the worship of relics and the veneration of superstitious and idolatrous things that had no background in Scripture. In 1505, he was a brilliant law student, and on his way home in a uh, one July, in a thunderstorm, a bolt of lightning struck near where he was and almost killed him and he screamed to the top of his voice because he was afraid to die, Saint Anna, save me, and I will become a monk. Now the reason that he called to Saint Anna to save him was that it did not occur to him that he could go directly to God because God was an awesome judge whose wrath would be vented and poured out upon him. He could not even go to Christ because Christ was pictured as one with a sword coming out of his mouth who would only wreak vengeance upon him. He could not even go to the blessed mother of our Lord, Mary. But he he had to go to Mary's mother, St. Anna, save me and I will become a monk, he said. Well, he tried to keep his vow and so he applied an Augustinian monastery to become a friar and he took the vows of chastity and poverty and obedience and he began to uh, try by works to attain salvation but he could not find peace for his soul he was haunted desperately by his sins he fasted until he was a rack of bones he had other people beat him with whips. Uh, he begged from place to place but there was no peace that could come to him his vicar general was a very good man and he set him to reading the scriptures And that's where we want to get to today, by Scripture alone. When he came, solo scriptura, when he came to the Scriptures, he began to find that it was in the faithful exposition of the written Word of God that the Holy Spirit would bring the good news of the gift of God of salvation to his soul. And he was liberated through that power. That's why organizations like the Gideons are so important. That's why we need to think about it today. And so later on, when Luther began his, his, his vicar, put him to work in a little town, not any bigger than Black Mountain, in a little university that wasn't as big as Montreal Anderson College, lecturing on the scriptures. And as he lectured on the Psalms, when he came to the 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he realized that it was this psalm that Jesus had quoted on the cross. He could understand why he would be forsaken of God because he, Martin Luther, was a sinner. But why would Jesus say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why would the heavens turn black? Why would the earth quake? Why were all of these terrible things happening? It was because he who knew no sin became sin for us in that dreadful moment. All of the wrath of God was beamed in upon him like a magnifying glass. And Jesus paid it all. He bore it all in his own body on the tree. And when Luther began to realize that Christ was utterly forsaken that he might be redeemed, He knew that there was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. He knew that there was nothing good enough that he could do to earn salvation. Then he began to read Galatians. And then he began to read Romans. And he began to read that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then the truth dawned upon him. He believed God and simply by trusting and believing in God, putting everything upon him, that that was accounted to him for righteousness. And so when he saw that there was an evil person who had perverted the gospel, coming amongst his parishioners, selling the rights to commit sins, he protested. He walked to the door of the castle church on October the 31st, 1517, around noon, and he nailed there... 95 theses which were proposed for debate, and it's one of the marks of the integrity of the Roman Catholic Church that the best uh, record of those 95 theses is in the Vatican today. They keep records very well. And they kept those records. Martin Luther went there to propose for a debate, but now here, I want to I've got to talk quickly, so you listen quickly. Uh, he, He nailed up there his 95 theses for debate. And he nailed them up not only in Latin, but he nailed them in German. He nailed them in German so that the common people could read them too. And that made a big difference. And Martin Luther had already begun translating the Bible into German so that the people could read the Word of God in their own language. And when the learned doctors came to him and they said, Brother Martin, what are you doing translating the Bible into common German? Don't you know that every plowboy and every swineherd and every milkmaid will be reading the Bible? And Luther said, Great. What do you think Peter was? He was a fisherman. What do you think our Lord Jesus was? He was a carpenter. What do you think the Blessed Mother of our Lord did after the birth of our Lord? He went back to milking cows again. She went back to taking care of her home. Why should not the common people read the word of God? Then he began to put into uh, translation the scriptures. And this, of course, led to greater and greater controversy. And finally, of course, you know that he was called before an assembly uh, which is called a diet. And I always got horrible thoughts when I thought about a diet of worms. Uh, That's not the kind of diet you're thinking about. It would be effective in weight loss, I'm sure, but it—it—it uh, it, it, it was a—it was an assembly uh, of of uh, of people in the city of Worms, if you will, and uh, so there he goes. And uh, this is where I wish to read you what he said when he was told by Meister Eck, one of the great scholars that he had to give a plain answer to this assembly as to whether he would renounce his books and his lectures and his statements about the grace and the mercy of God in Christ and that uh, these things came by grace alone and faith alone, Luther would not do it. And these are the words which which he said. Luther replied, Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Now, in, when he sings a hymn like you sung a moment ago, let goods and kindreds go this mortal life also. His mortal life was being placed on the block for what he believed. His goods were being placed on the block for what he believed. What kind of faith do you have? I remember when I was a kid in high school in Texas. Everybody wanted to buy something from Neiman Marcus in Dallas. And I saw an uh, advertisement in the Dallas Morning News. And there was a, a coat for some lady, and it was a very expensive thing, like everything else at Neiman Marcus. And, and uh, the, the name of it, though, was Casually Yours. And I thought, boy, that's a great title for a lot of Christianity. It's casually yours. It belongs to the Lord whenever we're in trouble. But when we really mean business with God and give ourselves without any compromise to Him, then it makes all the difference in the world that we belong to Him. Now then, quickly, what does Scripture do? Scripture gives us a map. A map to go by. A map to go by. I got lost trying to find a place in Raleigh not long ago in Durham. You know why? I thought I knew where I was going, and I thought I was too smart and didn't need a map. I've been living in North Carolina 25 years. I thought I knew where things were, but I didn't. Now i got me a North Carolina map. i uh, put in my car. Uh, I, I know I could rationalize it and say, well, we sung hymns, and we thought about good things, but we didn't. We were all angry, accusing each other of taking the wrong direction. And <laughs> uh, that's not the way it works. Get the map. The Bible is your map. You need the map. You need the word of God. You need it because you, you've got to have the scripture. The reason we have all of this occult today, all of this backward masking, all of this stupidity that I'm so thankful our people are having some alternate uh, on for the harvest festival time uh, to some of the idiocy that goes on at this time of the year. Because there is much evil in the world today and much false religion, the way to correct it is right here through the Word of God. Uh, and that's where you correct it. That's the second uh, part that I wanted to, to think about, correction that's there. You correct it by living in accordance with the law of God. The Old Testament is a faithful survey of how God has dealt, and that's why Paul is harking back to it and Jesus is harking back to it. And the New Testament is showing the meaning of how these things are working out in God's plan in history. And Jesus is a real person, not just the embodiment of the Christ idea. He's flesh and blood who was nailed on a cross and rose again from the dead, who walked with two to Emmaus and explained the scripture so that their hearts glowed and who said that he was coming again. That's Jesus. and so that's what we need to know. The person of Christ is real and we need that we need that map. And we need the Bible to correct us. We need the Bible to correct us. There are laws that if we break, they will break us. The law of gravity will break us. Someone was saying yesterday about a, a boy out in uh, California when UCLA was playing, uh, 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 University of Southern California was playing, US, was playing one of the other California teams there at University of California. You know what happened? a hang glider, hang glid, <laughs> right into the stadium where 80,000 people were <laughs> between the third and fourth quarter. Now can you imagine what kind of pandemonium that created? Uh, uh, he, They had to stop the ball game and the cops all came running out there trying to get their books out and figure what are you going to do with him uh, and what are you going to charge him with. Uh, he got in the game without a ticket or what uh he, he, but he, they came in this way, you see well that fellow for all of the i don 't agree with what he did at all. uh I hate for people to do that and break up the ball game but uh <laughs> but uh he knew something about aerodynamics because if he didn't that a hand glide would would fold up and fall, and that could be very uncomfortable and uh you you learn uh you learn the laws or they will break you so the laws are there and so the law of God is given to us so that we may learn the things that we're to do this summer we saw uh, on that educational TV the story of Mark Twain how they would throw the marker out in the water and the man would call Mark Twain uh, the, the, the marking of the fathoms of water that the ship was going into so that they could safely go down the Mississippi River and those Uh, steamboats, well, uh, those things were very, very dangerous because there would be ships and shoals in the water. I remember reading about some fellow who was very nervous and he walked up on the uh, deck where the captain was and the helmsman was, and he said to him as he was looking at all of the the sandbars and the other things, he said to the captain, "I, I guess you know where every sandbar in this river is. And the captain said, well, as a matter of fact, I know where very few of them are. And this fellow kind of breathed hard, and he thought about that thing blowing up, and he said, "Uh, well, isn't that kind of dangerous? And he said, no. He said, it's not dangerous. He said, I know where the deep water is. I'm not going to spend my time knocking around looking for sandbars. I'm going in the deep water. Well, that's what our young people need to know. Here are the scriptures. They give us the guidance of God. And they give us the guidance of God to see to it that we are taken into the deep waters. The waters of where the love of God is so deep and where the grace of Christ forgives our sins. And that's what grace is. Sola gratia, grace is so great. You know what it means? It gives you the opportunity to correct. Do you ever make a mistake? Boy, I hate pencils without erasers. <laughs> I do. And that's what grace does. Grace gives you the opportunity to correct. And that's what God has done. He has corrected it for us in Christ and given us salvation in Christ. And that's the last part about Scripture. It comforts us. It comforts us. Oh, within the past few weeks, I've had people, I had a man call me all the way from Chicago, and he put the telephone to his father's ears. He'd had a cerebral hemorrhage. He is the same age I am. They used to live here in Montreat, and he said, I want you to pray with my dad. He's dying. I had another telephone call from another state far away to the south, and a 30-year-old boy whom I know and love dearly went to a party where people were snorting cocaine and accidentally overdosed and was dead, someone I loved very much. I went down to Durham where our daughter-in-law was sick of a terribly high fever and dangerously ill. I went to the hospital where another little boy was dangerously sick with a mysterious uh, bacteria. These things come when All of these things come. We need to know that the love of God is there to sustain us in the trials, to give us his blessings, and also, also to show us that if he's done the big job of salvation for us, he'll lead us safely through. Let me close with the story our kids love. Last spring, Nathan and I went out to Korea and we came back through Cambridge. And we went up in great St. Mary's. And I'll never forget, I never thought I'd get to the top of those steps, but we went up where the bells are in Great St. Mary's at Cambridge and Cambridge University in England. And there is a story that comes from England It tells very well of the comfort that the grace of God brings to us from the Scriptures. It's illustrated through the life of a person during the days when Oliver Cromwell was Lord Protector over all of England. And the poet tells us of how a jury had condemned a young sentry who had fallen asleep on guard duty to death and how the one who loved him whose name was Bessie, his name was Basil Underwood how her heart was broken listen to it England's sun was slowly setting over the hilltops far away filling all the land with beauty at the close of one sad day and its last rays kissed the forehead of a man and maiden fair. He was steps so slow and weary, she with sunny floating hair. He with bowed head and thoughtful, she with lips all cold and white, struggled to keep back the murmur curfew, must not ring tonight. For the jury had said at the ringing of the curfew bell, Basil Underwood would die. Bessie had gone to the church where the bell would ring, Sexton Bessie's white lips faltered pointing to the prison old with its walls so tall and gloomy moss-grown walls dark damp and cold I have a lover in that prison doomed this very night to die at the ringing of the curfew and no earthly help is nigh Cromwell will not come till sunset and her lips grew strangely white as she spoke in husky whispers curfew must not ring tonight. Bessie calmly spoke the sexton. Every word pierced her young heart like a gleaming death-winged arrow, like a deadly poison dart. Long, long years I've rung the curfew from the gloomy shadowed tower. Every evening, just at sunset, it is told the twilight hour. I've done my duty, ever tried to do it just and right. Now I'm old. I will not miss it. Curfew bell must ring tonight wild her eyes and pale her features stern and white her thoughtful brow and within her heart's deep center Bessie made a solemn vow she had listened while the judges read without a tear or sigh at the ringing of the curfew basil underwood must die and her breath came fast and faster and her eyes grew large and bright one low murmur faintly spoken curfew must not ring tonight. He with quick step bounded forward sprang within the old church door, left the old man coming slowly paths he'd trod so oft before. Not one moment paused the maiden, but with cheek and brow aglow, staggered up the gloomy tower where the bell swung to and fro. She has reached the topmost ladder. O'er her hangs the great dark bell Awful is the gloom beneath her like the pathway down to hell. See, the ponderous tongue is swinging. It's the hour of curfew now. And the sight has chilled her bosom, stopped her breath, and paled her brow. Shall she let it ring? No, never. Her eyes flash with sudden light as she springs and grasps it firmly. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Out she swung, far out the city seemed a speck of light below. There, twixt heaven and earth suspended, as the bell swung to and fro. And the sexton at the bell-rope, old and deaf, heard not the bell. Sadly thought that twilight curfew rang young Basil's funeral knell. It was o'er, the bell ceased swaying, and the maiden stepped once more firmly on the damp old ladder, wherefore... A hundred years before human foot had not been planted, the brave deed that she had done should be told long ages after, as the rays of setting sun. O'er the distant hills comes Cromwell. Bessie sees him, and her brow, lately white with sickening horror, has no anxious traces now. At his feet, she tells her story, shows her hands all bruised and torn. And her sweet face, still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew shall not toll tonight. Two thousand years before Jesus was born, Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, because he trusted God as being able to bring him back from the dead. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had the curfew bell ring for him, but he did not escape death. He died on that cross, and we say it in the creed, crucified, dead, and buried. But God brought him back from the dead again. He brought him back so that we might know through the scriptures what those on the way to Emmaus found out, that this was God's way of righting wrong, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be saved. So we are saved by that grace through faith in him. If you have never yielded your heart to him, it means casting all that you have upon all that he has to give you. And that is true salvation. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be All glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.